0: It is good to be together this Labor Day, Sabbath weekend, to share in the word. I wanna invite you to stand with me, that we might read the word together. found in the book of Matthew, chapter seven, verse 24 through 27. Every the, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat at the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The word of God. Please be seated. We begin a, what I would like to call a mini-series. It's a short one. It's three weeks long, and we invite you to come with us. The, the, the series is called Jesus Is. In the next three weeks, we're going to take a, a dive into the agency and the character of Jesus in the Gospels and their meaning for his church today. What is it that Jesus is seen doing and how is Jesus living and what are the implications for the church today as God's body. It's important that when we say we're Christians... That we have some working understanding of what that means. There's got to be some fundamental, some foundational base by which we are all working from when we say we're Christians. We all need this fundamental place to work from if we're going to do life well together. This is a true scenario anytime we get together to do or to engage in life. We've got to start from some foundational place where we can work so this last, not this last Thursday, but the Thursday before, I have the privilege of, uh, of coaching the Sierra Academy boys volleyball team. The Knights, they call themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful privilege of coaching these human beings. And these boys have great spirits. Man, they are a great bunch of human beings. But as a team, we needed to find some kind of fundamental place to start from. You see, uh, a few of these individuals have played volleyball before and, and know how the rotations work and know how to play together, but then a large amount of them didn't. Some of them came from basketball, so they would have felt more comfortable laying the ball up at the volleyball net. Some of them are soccer, who are really good at soccer. And so between uh, practices and drills, you know, one of them kept kicking the ball across the gym. I'm not going to say any names, Jay. <laughs> Volleyballs and soccer balls are different. There's an individual on the team who's a, who's a, a, a track uh, person, right? And that's their gift. And so they had an a incredible amount of, of versatility, of drive, of, of being able to jump. So they had a good vert, but they didn't know the, the active articulation of a volleyball motion, how to hit the ball, how to be at the net. So we had to explain these things because we had to start at some fundamental place. They had to learn two things before our first game, which was this past Thursday, which is the 6-2 rotation and the 5-1 rotation. Some of you are like, what is this? Don't worry. It doesn't matter. The point is that they had to learn this in order for us to be able to function together. And so our starting uh, middle person happened to be the one who was a, a track person, and he he was... a. Uh, back row middle blocker, so he came to the front after rotations came around, and he didn't know the game, so all the boys around him were teaching him as we played our first game. And he would be standing in one place, and and, and the outside hitter would have to go, hey, 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 you got to move up so I can hit the ball. Oh, and he'd move, and he's oh, what, where do I have to go? And eventually, we lost the first set. But... We learned a fundamental place to work from. So once they figured out how to play together and talk and rotate, and they began to care for each other, they began to speak into each other's space, they they began to mentor each other, they got good, and we won the next three sets in a row, hands down. Yes. And the last year, Knights won. It just so happens that the other team, this was their very first game ever in the whole school's history, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that also helped. They didn't have a foundational place to work from. Working from foundational places matter. When Melanie, my wife and I started to get serious, we had to talk about what are going to be working places, foundational working spaces that we we will agree on. That we know when we say this, this is what it means. We we had we use the words soon very differently. Soon. She would say, "Hey, I'll be there soon," and soon for me means, "Hey, I better get up and be out the door." Soon for her was very prophetic. Jesus is coming soon, and so am I. One of us will get to you before the other. We had to come to a consensus. So I finally said, Hey, listen, if you're nowhere near, I don't mind. Just say, I'm nowhere near, and I'll be totally okay with that. But if you say, I'm gonna be there soon, for me, that means you're like right outside, and then I'm gonna be outside waiting for like an hour. And when you get there, you're going to be like, "Why, why, why so gloom?" For me, the words "Okay, I will" means I will do something in prophetic time. For my wife, when she says, "Hey, will you do this?" and I say, "Okay, I will," she's expecting that by the time she gets back, it'll be done. What I mean is, I'll do it sometime in my lifetime. We had to talk about that. Hey, how come you didn't take the trash out? I said I will take it out. I just didn't say in the next hour or two. We had to get a place of consensus. We're working from a place. When we say this is what we're doing, it means that we're all in that place together. Even in the virtual world, when we're doing VR... We have to be working from a particular place. Uh, about three weeks ago, I took our pastoral team to do our pastoral annual uh, day together to talk about teamwork and, and, and how to be better leaders and to kind of envision where we're going together as a team. And at the end of that long day of building our, our team and, and talking about our particular leadership strengths, I took them to a place called VR Noob. VR noob. And it's where you put on these VR goggles and we live in a virtual reality world and do, like, team building stuff. Here's a couple pictures of that. So, so at the beginning, you see Pastor Ben is praying and meditating right now. <laughs> it had been a long and hot day on that day. And Pastor Ben thought it would be best to meditate and pray before we go to the VR. The AC was excellent in that spot. And then we started playing. So they separated us into two teams. And one team, we do the same exact thing. The first one is solve some puzzles and try to get free, and uh, Pastor Steve and myself are on one team with Pastor Elizabeth and Pastor Zion, and on the other team, we've got Pastor Pono, Pastor Ben, Pastor Raywin, uh, Pastor Devil, and, and we're, we're going along, and in order to win in these puzzles, you had to have some kind of working strategy, some place where if you say, um, I will do this, it means you're going to do a certain thing. Obviously, me and Pastor Steve, we lost badly. Pastor Liz said afterwards, she says, it's because you and Pastor Steve know each other too well. She's like, you two were doing things without even talking to each other. So I had no idea what I was doing. I was just running around waiting for someone to tell me something. And you and Pastor Steve weren't talking because you two just know what to do together. And we said, grow up, Pastor Elizabeth. <laughs> the next game we played together, um, the, next, the, next, the next thing we did together was a laser tag. We kept the same exact teams and we would do this laser tag in virtual reality. In the virtual reality, you can move up and down in different levels in an elevator. And here we look like we're in the same space. But in virtual reality, we're in different places. And so Pastor Steve and I got into one strategic corner. And we said, hey, team, let's take care of this spot and come over. And so we were doing this thing where we would just, we would just wait there for the other team to come out. And we get them, we get them. But somewhere along the way, we lost communication. And our team left us. And they started wandering around the map. And so we started to lose. And it was painful because the other team had a better place they were working from, a better foundational place. Just show the next picture here real quick. This is, let me tell you, the most dangerous sniper that played with us was Pastor Raywin. Don't let that surprise you. She's dangerous. Every time I got killed, I would hear the snickering from the back. I'd look back, and there she was. Never playing with her again. <laughs> you have to work from someplace as a team, as a gathering, as a community. When we say this is who we are, we need to know what that looks like, what that means to us. So, what is something foundational about Jesus? That we should ascribe to as a community. That we say, this is something that we just believe in to be true and right. The first one this week is this. Jesus is a person, not just an idea. Jesus is a person. We can't just follow Jesus as an idea. Nor can we follow Jesus' ideas and teachings. We must look onto the full personhood of who Jesus is. The image of the infinite has a human touch in Jesus. The most transformative moments in our lives is usually when we are having human interactions. When we have human touch, something there transforms us. There's not enough information we can learn. There's not enough ideas that we can grasp that could ever take the place of human touch first time you feel the clasp of your child's hand around you, the last time to hold a loved one's hand before they pass, receiving a kiss from someone who means dear to you that reminds every piece of your fiber that you are valued and loved. Human touch is the most transformative thing in the universe. And so it is in Jesus, not his teachings, not in Jesus' ideas, but in Jesus' person that we find the most transformative and intimate experiences of life. God, in God's loftiness, could not be understood by humanity until God came in the wrapping of a fragile, small baby. In Jesus, we understand God. Ideas are good, but being in person and personal touch and human touch means everything. It's like when you hear a song. Sometimes we hear songs of metaphors, right? And you may say, what is love? And someone may say, love is like the waves that crash upon the sea. And you're like, okay, what does that mean, though? What, what does that mean? You you know, that means like when a rose petal begins to blossom. Okay, yeah. But what does that mean? It's like when the grains of sand. No, no, I, I can't tangibly get that. If I, I can go down to the waves and watch them all day and not actually see love in action. But when humanity gets the experience of something happening, we can say, wow, that there is truly what it means to follow Jesus. It's not metaphorical. It's not a hyperbole. It is human touch. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them, chapter 7 in the book of Matthew. Matthew has portrayed this moment with the assumption that Jesus' life is already on display. That people have felt his touch or has, affected, or has been affected by his presence When Jesus utters these words written by Matthew to the people there on the mount, Matthew makes the assumption that, hey, they've already experienced Jesus as a human person. At this point, Jesus' teachings and ideas are already associated with this person and continue to be associated with Jesus' actions. Chapter 4 and chapter 8, sandwiches... The whole Jesus doing healings and miracles and and, and feedings. Jesus is doing all these amazing cleansings. And so, between the sandwich is the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of chapter four, Jesus is healing lots of people. He's caring for the uncared, He's loving the unloved. He brings value and hope to the poor in spirit, to the mourners, and to the hungry. Jesus is doing this in the flesh. And then in chapter 5, Matthew records a portrayal of what Jesus begins to teach. This is where Jesus begins to teach on the mount. It is not... Interpreted into some vacuumed space of ideas. This this all comes from who Jesus is. When Jesus teaches, these ideas are acted out in the life of Christ. To love your enemy. To care for people. To feed the hungry to turn the cheek, to not hate. These are, these are ideas that Jesus teaches from his own life. It is a reflection of his personhood. And at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus points out that if you hear these words and do them, you are planted on the rock. That if you hear these words and do them, this is how you are planted on the rock. That if you do these, if you hear these words and you do them, and we can assume that in this point he is inferring that we have seen Jesus do it. So we're not just hearing Jesus say, if you hear and do, we have seen Jesus. The people have seen Christ in action. If you have seen Christ and heard his words, and you do it, you stand on the rock. And in seasons of urgency, there in the Palestinian area where in the winter time the, the winds come up turbulently and Waters can fill through the ravines and flood out, and if you happen to have had a house there, they would have seen that happen. They would have seen homes that were built on good foundation. They may have seen Jesus in the past with his dad, who's a carpenter, do this work for people to help and and make this happen, right? So they're seeing Jesus' personhood in the works, And they could think of the Palestinian weather coming in and washing away home. And Jesus makes this very tangible connection for them. He says, just like you have seen it happen, if you hear my words and do them as you have seen me do them, you are on the rock. You are on the rock. When we're in urgent situations, we tend to look around to see what everyone else is doing and try to do the same. Has that ever happened to you? You, You've been confused, you're a little lost, you don't know what to do, so you're just looking at the person who knows what they're doing and you try to do that, right? They got this bit of mob mentality and we've done it across life, all of us have done it, where we don't know what we're doing so we just look at somebody and just do what they're doing and we try to just fake it till we? Ah, see, I knew you've done this before. Let me tell you how I got into gymnastics my sophomore year in high school. I've never done gymnastics in my life, ever. I was standing around, and my freshman year, my dad drove me up to the boarding school, so he filled out all my paperwork. He told me what classes I need to go into. My sophomore year, no one was there, it was just me, and I didn't know how to fill out any paperwork, so I just faked it till I made it. When my friends went and stood in the line, I went and stood in that line. If they they signed the paperwork, I signed that paperwork, and I just did what everybody else was doing. I didn't know what kind of curriculum there was for PE, so I just looked around and waited until I saw somebody go to the gym. It just so happened there was a young lady who was walking down the gym, and she was quite cute. She looked confident. She was walking to the gym, and I thought, I should walk to the gym as well. And so I followed her, and I followed her all the way down the gym, and I got there, and she gets there, and she says, hi. I said, hey, uh, is this where we're meeting? She goes, yeah, are, are you on the team? I said, yeah. (laughs) on the team what team And she says, oh just come in it's fine just come in and she disappears to the rest of the group and I come in and I'm like what whoa what is this hey human beings climbing on human beings what is that and the coach calls everyone together and he says you come here and I came in he's like you're beefy you can stand in the middle and hold people up I said what he said yeah this is gymnastics I said what he said, yeah, here's a leotard. Put it on. I said, what? <laughs> Do it. I went, I, okay. And I put that thing on and it was, hey. Needless to say, I joined choir the next year. Because when we're lost in the mix and we're kind of confused, we just kind of follow what everyone else is doing. In the lostness of a storm that might come our way where the, the winds begin to pick up and we feel like we might be drowning. We're, we're trying to stay up. We begin to look around and say, hey, hey, what is that person doing? What, what is that group doing? What, what did we used to do that used to work? And, and we begin to, to get worried about where to move from here. But the truth is, as Jesus is sharing this, he is telling them, keep your eyes on me. You have heard my teachings. You have seen me in human action. Keep your eyes on me. And as he teaches this crowd, we are all on solid ground when you keep your eyes focused and when your ears are listening and when you begin to do these things. I think it echoes down the pipeline through history and it should sit on us as a church that no matter what happens and what storm comes away, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to. We aren't keeping our eyes on our sister churches, on other Christian churches, or successful business models. We aren't keeping our eyes on our own church and where we used to be, and, 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 and how we wanna be that and reminiscent of that. What we are doing is we are keeping our eyes focused on Christ. We'll be lost trying to get back to where we were once upon a time. So that was a conversation my mommy and I used to have all the time growing up. Huh, you young people, you don't know how to do church right. What are you talking about, mom? When I was in church, we used to, yeah, I know, but also when you were in church, there was no electricity. <laughs> and my mom would be like, <laughs> right? My grandfather was a pastor, and in his church back on the island, if you were too rowdy with your friends, which is a rare occasion, a deacon would come up on you and lay hands, holy hands, on you so that you might feel the presence of the Lord. (laughs) I said, Mom, the church was full because everybody was scared not to be there. Send your deacons out and beat everybody up. We're always thinking about, man, what did we used to do that would have made this right? Or what does that church do? Maybe other churches look at us and say, man, Lossier University Church, hey, if you're watching along, you don't have to do what Lossier University Church does to be an amazing church. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We must look at the personhood of who Jesus is. What did Jesus do in Jesus' time? How did Jesus care for people? What was his response To others when they were going through things. And when we look at Jesus, it transforms the way we begin to do things here in our own home. Wayne Cordero. In his book, Jesus, points out that it's easy and very tempting to correct our church to another space or to correct back to a time that is marked by a sense of revival and awakening where the church felt exuberant and full. That's a temptation of everyone. We all want to feel like that thing, right? But is that really what God is calling for us to do, to feel like we are amazing or to do the work of God that is amazing? Each time we think about Jesus, we don't just deal with the idea of Jesus or Jesus' ideas and teachings. We must look fully at the person of Jesus. Though we can learn a lot from these spaces, they will all be incomplete in themselves. So Wayne tells a story in his book, Jesus, about how his military dad retires. They buy a big big plot of land up in Oregon and they begin to build a fence and as they're building this fence he brings his son to the to the saw and he says I need you to cut these two by fours in four inches and four inches he says this is the best way to do it you cut the first piece of four inch you put it on use it as a template and you cut the next one and you use it as a template again draw a line cut the next one use it as a template draw a line cut and 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 Wayne said okay dad I got this and so the dad goes and he begins to put the fence together on the other side and he gets that uh, uh first he measures that four inches and he cuts it and he says I took that first one and I drew a line perfectly across and then I cut that and then I threw the block away and I grabbed that block and I used it and I drew another line and I cut it he says I threw that block away and I just kept doing that I would draw a line I would cut it throw the block away grab the next block he said in about half an hour or so his dad yells from the fence and he looks to see what happened and he said that the gap in the fence kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger For every time he grabbed a new block and he drew with his pencil, it was just an increment off from where it was before. And what was started as four four inches turned to four and a quarter and four and a half. and And every time he drew that line, the further down he would go, the larger the gap would be from the original piece to the last one. And so he says, he recalls his dad yelling at him, you always measure with the original cut. Always go back to the original. If you don't, you'll slowly go off. We must always go back to the original Jesus. If we keep following each other and the ideas around us will continue to get further and further away of what it means to be a church that follows Jesus Christ. The church's job isn't to fix its gaze at any other place. The church's job is to look at the original piece. It is to look at Jesus and follow. That is what discipleship is. Cordero concludes that we cannot afford to be even a little off when it comes to Jesus. Because even a little shy can be a dangerous place. We can clearly see this in our world history around us. When we forget to look at Jesus and we begin to build spaces that are about what we see around us. Or maybe things that we like and maybe what we used to look like and we build and we build and we build on these precepts and it transforms us and and it begins to malign us and sooner or later somewhere in history we begin not to look like the followers of Jesus we may look like the followers of Constantine we may look like the followers of different empires but it doesn't look quite like Jesus we begin to go on crusades We begin to make reasons and excuses for slavery. We see all kinds of people who claim the name of Jesus without any resemblance of activity of the person of Jesus. It is important that we don't just claim Jesus' name, but that we live in the name of Jesus. Church, there are many today who claim to be Christians who love Jesus, who follow God. And it has a dissonance between the words they are saying and their ideas and the way that they live life. It is not enough for us to just have ideas of Jesus. We must follow the person fully and wholly of Jesus. Here's a sign you would have seen in American churches. In the early 1900s, Jesus saves. Very common, very beautiful. The full picture looks more like this. If you're looking at it, this is 1920s in Oregon. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. This is it. Think about this. I'm giving a large contrast so that we're clear about what happens when we deviate away from looking at the original piece. These are, the next uh, slide is songs they would sing. They have a Ku Klux Klan singing hymnal. Here's one of their songs. The bright fiery cross, reminiscent of the old rugged cross, but slightly changed over all the USA, the fiery cross we display. The emblem of Klansmen domain will be forever true to the red, white, and blue, and Americans always remain. This is the world that we live in when we're not careful to look back to the original peace that we are supposed to follow. They would sing Onward, Christian Soldiers, one of my favorite songs until I saw it in the actual hymn. And it broke my heart a little bit. Onward, Christian Soldiers, marching on to war. And, and, and they would sing this song. Before they would go out on their next gruesome activity. Because Jesus is their royal master. We must be careful that we don't keep our eyes off Jesus. Show another picture here. This beautiful lady's name is Laura. Laura Carlton. Mother of nine. Store owner up in the Arrowhead area, well loved by her community, cared for, and she cared for everyone, supported, protected, watched after. Laura Carlton, about two weeks ago, was shot dead. Known to everyone as Lori, who was dearly loved. A gentleman who was about 26 year old, comes to her store, sees that she happens to be an ally for the LGBT plus community. She's not a, she does not identify as one. She's an ally. She protects and cares for people. He rips down her flag, and she comes out, and she says, hey, don't do that, and he kills her. He runs the sheriff's chase after, and in an interaction with them, he loses his life. Actually, one of our members who works up there um, sent me, text me a And he texted me about this because it happened just very closely to where he was. And my heart was broken for this. Mother of nine, beautiful grandkids who's just trying to love and be kind and support and protect and watch over people loses her life too soon. A young man who's 26, who has so much life before him Who could have had potentially beautiful, life giving experiences lost before him? Here, we as a church lost sight somewhere of the person of Jesus and his actions warping the structure of our calling. What happened if, so so I went to look up this individual's profile and see what his story is, and he was a Christian. He had Christian uh, uh, sayings and, and he had Christian quotes in on his profile and, and, and he, he, he uses all of those quotes to, to condemn and, and, and to hurt and to harm. And because of that, he was enraged with his hate so that he took someone's life and to him and his death, he believed that God was okay with him doing that. What have we done? When we take our eyes off of Jesus, whether it's the drive to divide and hate or towards enterprise and prosperity through these seasons, we must keep to the rock. That is the very person who is Jesus. Turn to someone and say, look at Jesus. Tell somebody else, keep your eyes on Jesus. We must trust in his ways and his teachings. We must look to Christ and his activities. This young man and this beautiful, experienced, seasoned lady, both had much more life to live. And I wonder, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, how that would transform the way our church speaks to, responds, and acts in this very world. My cohort professor, uh, Mark Scandretti, we're in the middle of our cohort together, he wrote a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus, and he talks about his extended time and conversations with his mentor, philosopher and theologian, Dallas Willard. And this is what he writes, Dallas Willard. Often and memorably told us that to experience the kingdom of God, a group of people should get together and simply try to do the things that Jesus instructed his disciples to do. We don't enter the kingdom of God merely by thinking about it or listening to one another talk about it. We must be about it. So as we close today, here's my challenge for us as a church. This is my challenge for you. Jesus is a person, not an idea. We follow not just what Jesus says, but the way Jesus lived. I wanna challenge you today on your way home, or at lunch, or hanging out afterwards, or later in the week, while you are with your friends, and you're, or maybe you're serving at the pantry like the youth are, but on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I wanna challenge you to take a moment together to read a gospel passage and pay close attention to the person of Jesus. Pay close attention to Jesus and his actions and his response. Sit together and share in story. Open it together. Read about it. Maybe it's the Phoenician woman. Maybe it's the bleeding woman. Maybe it's children who are coming to Jesus. Maybe it's lepers. Find a story that you can sit together with and listen closely to what is happening. Watch as Jesus responds to the world that he lives in. Ask yourself, why, Jesus, would you do this? And then together have a conversation about how we as a church can live out the ways of Jesus in that story. Hear Jesus doing the good. See Jesus doing the good. Be the church that follows the person of Jesus. As we leave today, I pray that in your hearts. You may not just hear the words that puts us on solid rock. You may see the person who is the rock, Jesus the Christ.